is John Ross. I asked my dad if I could be a part of the show, and all he did was give me this to read. Welcome to the Always Believe in You show with your host, Damon K. Ross. Please enjoy the show. Good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, depending on where you are in the world. You are listening to the Always Believe in You show, hosted by Damon K. Ross, right here on 21.6 The Net, your daily dose of encouragement. I am super excited about being able to share the topic for today. What we're going to be talking about is how you can support youth and young adults that are living in homes that are falling apart, homes in which parents are at odds with each other, parents are separated or going through a divorce or already divorced. It is a topic that will be broached by my good friend, Mr. James Quigley, who is one of the top, if not the top, family attorney here in the state of Illinois. He goes into some information and just some ideas, some pointers, some suggestions on how we as caring adults can really be mindful of how we're dealing with these youth and young adults as they go through these difficult times. Because oftentimes we as adults focus a little bit too much on ourselves and how we're affected by something or we're in the process of trying to validate ourselves or be that superhero when our focus should be on the needs of the youth and the young adults that are going through these tough times. So we really dive into that and uh, just looking forward to playing that interview for you guys. Another thing I wanted to just talk about really briefly is uh, just a wonderful time I had over this past weekend in St. Louis, Missouri, which is my hometown. We had our family reunion on my dad's side of the family, and it was just a great opportunity or a great time, I should say. Uh, But I was presented with some opportunities to speak with some great individuals down there, and you'll hear those interviews in the coming weeks as the show continues to play right here on 21.6 The Net. I am just grateful for all of the listeners out there, for all of the support that I'm receiving from you out there. I appreciate it. Continue to tell others about the show. Uh, Again, the show is dedicated to enriching the lives of youth and young adults and those that work with and care for them. So if you know educators, if you know youth group leaders, if you know sports coaches, anybody that works with youth and young adults, tell them about the show. Point them to 21.6 The Net uh, for this show and other shows. And you can also point them to my Podbean site, uh, www.demonkross.podbean.com. Dot com, where you can listen to any show at any time. And also, there are stories that I'm going to tell or information that I'm going to share about some youth and young adults who've done some pretty extraordinary things or showed an extraordinary amount of courage and discipline that I would also encourage you to share with those youth and young adults in your life and then also share these interviews with those youth and young adults as well, because not only are some of my guests going to talk about things that will directly relate to you, I also have them talk about what it is they do, how they got involved with it, a little bit of their backstory, 
And I want to help some of these young people get the opportunity to see some jobs, some careers, some business opportunities or business ideas that maybe they've never been exposed to, maybe they've never thought about, or something that they weren't quite sure what it was or what it's all about, and they get a chance to see this just to show them what's out there. Because a lot of times we see only the things that are in front of us, right there, immediately in front of us. And we oftentimes will miss opportunities to learn about something different. So stepping out of the comfort zone, learning something new is what this is all about. So I'm going to go into my youth of the week at this moment because I'm going to get into the interview pretty early in the show, which is great. So my youth of the week is a young lady by the name of Luce VR. Now, if you were saying that in English, it would be Luz Villar, V-I-L-L-A-R. But I'm trying to brush up on my Spanish. Not doing so great, but that's okay. I do the best I can. But Luz, she was a homeless young lady that spent a lot of time in foster care, just going from home to home to home. And she ended up going off to college while being homeless, working through that, and had some struggles. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present the information to you about her. This is from an article that was written for One Day Magazine, which appears on teachforamerica.org. That's www.teachforamerica.org. Luce was nine the day Child Protective Services removed her and her siblings from their mother's home. She and her younger sister remained together, but her brothers were sent to live in different foster homes. She wouldn't see them again for two and a half years. The girls moved every few weeks or months. Over the course of the next four years, they drifted through 15 foster homes and attended four different schools, passing through a revolving door of caseworkers. Luce did her best to keep her grades up, but the constant disruptions made it difficult. Socially and in class, Luce became guarded and kept to herself. I wouldn't raise my hand if I knew the answer, she, she recalls. I didn't want to connect because I knew I just have to disconnect. Man, could you imagine that feeling? And some of you out there probably know that feeling or some of the young people that you know probably know that feeling of just being moved around, bounced around from time to time and having a hard time really making those connections with people as you get older. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, I just couldn't imagine. I didn't grow up like that, but I can only empathize with people that went through that struggle or are going through that struggle right now. In the spring of 2012, Luce found herself walking a tightrope with no safety net. She was a sophomore at Boston Architectural College, staring down the last of her scholarship money. There was no going home. Since she left her mom's apartment in southeastern Massachusetts two years earlier at age 18, Luce had been a homeless college student, crashing on friends' couches and in cheap motel rooms and subsisting on whatever she could microwave. Just two years earlier, a good job and an apartment of her own seemed within Luce's grasp. She had graduated from high school, something no one in her family had done, and had been accepted by Boston Architectural College with what seemed like a decent financial aid package. To call it a dream felt inadequate. This was salvation. 
The money hadn't come easily. Unable to qualify for loans and with no family members to co-sign, Luce was forced to navigate reams of paperwork to file for aid as an independent. Even small costs, say the $150 deposit to hold her spot at college, sent her scrambling. Her part-time job as a cashier at Best Buy barely covered groceries. By the end of her sophomore year, with scholarship funding running out, Luce just hoped to complete the semester. She stayed up all night finishing her final project and modeling a model representing a transverse section of a building she had designed. When I got on the bus, it was so packed the doors closed on my project and it collapsed, she recalls. I sat down on the sidewalk and just cried. Her advisor at the college suggested that she quit school and return when she had saved up the money. Even I knew that wasn't realistic. I was working retail and making maybe $10,000 a year after taxes. It felt hopeless. Coming to terms with dropping out of college was devastating. We're talking 14 years of sacrifice, one thing after another. I was so broken, no home, no parents, no degree, she remembers. My little brother used to call me. I look up to you. And who am I? He's not going to look up to me anymore. Man, I couldn't imagine. That, that, that's tough. But uh, Luce made it to college. The fact that she made it to college is just remarkable in and of itself, you know, with all of the circumstances. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, well, lots of people do that, but lots don't. More don't. Far more don't make it. A lot of kids that go through the foster system all the way through and don't end up getting adopted, a lot of them end up homeless, and not all of them make that decision to go off to college. So, you know, I give a lot of, um, a lot of kudos to her for, for doing that. After Luce dropped out of architecture school, she was despondent. Then a friend told her about Year Up, an intensive year-long training program for low-income young adults that teaches workforce skills and matches students with corporate internships. It sounded too good to be true, but she applied and got in. Her turnaround has been nothing short of astonishing. After completing Year Up in 2013, Luce was hired as a full-time associate by State Street the global financial services firm where she interned. While there, she also learned a, earned a year's worth of college credit at Cambridge College through a year-up partnership. After a year of working at State Street, Luce reached another milestone. She put down a security deposit on her first apartment. On Valentine's Day 2014, she moved into a sunny three-bedroom with two roommates in Dorchester, 20 minutes south of Boston. She had been taking night classes toward her degree, and finally having a stable home changed everything. You can see it in my transcript. My grades went up instantly, she said. I mean, just amazing, man. It's... um. Yeah, you know, it's it's just great to hear stories like this and to see people turn their lives around to show that grit and determination to not give up when so many have. And you know, that's just the message that I send out to all of the youth out there is you can accomplish anything that you want in life, or pretty much anything you want in life, as long as you believe that you can do it and you put forth the work, you instill the discipline within yourself. And you work with those that can help you out. 
you know, accepting the help, finding those programs like the Year Up program that Luce got attached with, finding those programs that can help you get to where you want to go. The key is to not give up, to keep working hard, and to follow your dreams with everything you got. Even when things seem bleak and it seems like you can't do it, you can. You just got to believe Fight through the fears, because fear is going to creep up on you at every turn. But it's not those that avoid fear that end up making it. It's those that move on even while they are going through fearful situations. And that's my encouragement to you and to all of you adults out there who are listening. Continue to be that strong support. Continue to love on and work with and support these youth and young adults out here because things are tough and difficult. Uh, As we know, we dealt with peer pressure and things of the like when we were growing up too, and things can be hard. It's a scary thing growing up. It's a scary thing when you start to realize that life doesn't stop for you. Life doesn't cater for you. So, Continue to do that. And uh, now let's transition into the interview portion of our show with Mr. James Quigley. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Always Believe in You show with your host, Damon K. Ross. I am sitting here with the great family attorney, Mr. James Quigley. How are you? Doing good. Good to see you again, Damon. Now, I'm just going to say right now, uh, I call him Q because when I first met him, that's what everybody was calling him, Q. And before we get too far into this, I have to tell the story of how he and I met. Now, we met as competitors playing in a 30 and over basketball league in Libertyville, Illinois. Now, for those of you who are sports fans, you're going to understand what I'm about to say. For other people, Google it. You know, maybe you can find out. I did what Kevin Durant should have done. (laughs) Now, let me explain that. So the first year that I played in the league, uh, played against Q's team three times. We played them twice in the regular season. Then we played in the playoffs. They beat us both times regular season. Technically, we beat them in the championship, (laughs) but the guy at the scorer's table got excited. He thought they were going to call the timeout, so he stopped the clock. They heads up play, took the ball out, threw it down court, hit a layup. The guy started the clock, game over. We end up losing. I turned to the ref and I'm like, ref, he stopped the clock. He stopped the clock. Ref didn't do anything about it. So we come back the next year, retool my team, play them twice in the regular season. They beat us both times. But fortunately in the playoffs, I got my revenge and I beat them. And then it was at that point that I said, okay, Q, if you guys need some players for next year, I want to join your team. So I didn't didn't do like Kevin Durant and go join the team that beat me. I had to beat him first before we moved on. So uh, does that sound accurate? Is that? I don't remember the last loss, but the other part seems pretty accurate. (laughs) Of course, you don't remember that. So uh, Q, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you do in family law. Um, I know that you've had a tremendous amount of success. I've seen articles in, you know, you're one of the best attorneys in the state when it comes to family law. And so what I wanted to do is uh, before we get into the story and how you got started, can we talk a little bit about how caring adults 
how what you do fits into uh, caring adults and how they could help. Like, what are some things that you see within a family situation that's going awry and the kids are involved and they need help? What are some things that you've seen that you can tell some adults out there to be of service to those uh, youth that are dealing with that situation? I think there's a lot of things that caring adults can do to help kids in, in particular. Sometimes it's as basic as if you have a relationship with the adults is sort of trying to help them to understand what it is they're doing to kids. And my experience of doing this over 26 years is pretty much every parent thinks that what they're doing is best for their kids. They don't see oftentimes because their own emotion, um, what they're really doing to their kids and how their fight and how their conflict is affecting kids. So sometimes just being candid with someone you care about and saying, hey, look what you're doing, not being an enabler or a facilitator of mm-hmm. that conflict, that's something that you can do as a family member, a friend, you know, any any relationship if you have. To those that may not be connected to the family, they still have the opportunity, I think, to help children when they understand what the kids are going through. And a lot of times teachers and demand you teach and so you understand that you see perhaps a kid's academic performance is suffering. I just tried a case downstate where the teacher in the case observed the child that was always happy-go-lucky and participated, would raise her hand, was very Mm -hmm. engaged in class, all of a sudden was sullen and very withdrawn for a period of a number of weeks and identified to the parents, hey, what's going on? And so sometimes if you're in the academic world and you see a child, if you're in the medical world and understand that um, children express or manifest their anxieties, their stresses in in a myriad of different ways. And so it's not always as plain as, hey, the grades are dropping or the smile has disappeared. So really, I think it's an awareness of a child in that situation and being there for that child because the needs of the children when their parents are, are going through a divorce or some other family stressor, um, they're going to be impacted. And you're not right. always going to be able to readily identify how they're being impacted. So being in tune with what they're going through, listening, you know, sometimes it's as simple as that. You know, kids need an objective outlet, someone yeah. to talk to, someone that isn't going to tell them, hey, you should do this, or don't tell your dad that, don't tell your mom that, Right. where they're constantly put in the middle. So letting them kind of escape from that and have a sense of normalcy sometimes can be a tremendous help. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we deal with some of that at the school. Um, matter of fact, I was with a student today who was dealing with some tough things at home. And, you know, that was one of the things that I asked her. It's like, you know, who do you have to talk to? Because she's in a lot of conflict with mom. She feels like mom is always siding with the brother. And, you know, so I was like, you you need to find somebody that you can talk to outside of school because, you know, we're only there so much. So what what are some of the things that you've seen that you would say would be damaging? Like people, they're well-meaning, they want to help, but it's just not helpful. What are, what are some examples of some things you've seen that from the parents perspective, uh, from just parents or any adult involved whether the grandparents? Well, I'll tell you what, it's interesting. So I guess coming to that question from two different perspectives, I'll okay. tell you the one thing that I see in my practice that parents do that is really, really tough for kids is when, and you, and you typically see this 
perhaps after a divorce when people they find someone else, they fall in love and they want to get remarried or something. When a parent wants to move with their children to a different state, mm-hmm. that's where I see one of the most difficult things in my practice because yeah. there's really not a happy medium. You know, if two parents live in the same town and they're getting a divorce, hey, maybe you have the kids half the time, I have them half the time, or maybe a little more with this parent or that parent. Right. You can always work out some kind of structure that works. If you've got mom in Illinois and you've got dad in California, it's tough. Yeah. And it's going to have an impact. But real life sometimes, I had a case where a woman fell in love with someone from another state and became engaged, got married, and then was pregnant with that other, her new husband's child. Of course, she wanted to move to be with her husband, but my client lives here. And my client wants his relationship with his daughter. And so that was a a, a difficult conflict. So those those cases are really, really tough um, when one parent seeks to relocate. Where I see, you know, sometimes people being well-intended and it having sort of a contrary impact on a case is where you get family or friends that are enablers and they join in the conflict almost and it's natural in many respects Mm -hmm. because blood is thicker than water right and if my sister if my brother if someone is engaged in that conflict naturally i'm going to gravitate towards their but if I've got that fighting spirit and I'm talking to my sister, let's do this, let's do that. And it's not always, hey, let's pull back from this. Let's do what's right. Let's do what's good for the kids. Sometimes family and friends get caught up in that. I can't tell you the number of situations where I have people come to me and they say, you know, my my best friend said, you know, this happened and they should do this. And my uncle said that. So right. everyone's got these opinions. And a lot of times it isn't always, hey, let's take a step back. Let's do what's right for the kids. Yeah. Let's remove your emotional position from this discussion. It's hard to do. But that's where I see sometimes they're, it's well-intended. They're trying to support their family member or their friend. But the way they're going about it is sort of just adding to or fueling that um, conflict, which is usually detrimental. Right. So basically uh, just focusing on the child. And really honing in on what's best for this young person right here, as opposed to let's get this other parent. Yeah, is that, that's kind of what I yeah. hear you saying. Yeah. And and you know we see that um, again at the school as well. You know we we have a few situations where there are family conflicts, divorces, and whatnot. And yeah, it's amazing how people don't see the damage that it causes when you're telling one child these negative things or showing like I remember one situation we had a student who his dad was showing him all of the court documents and so this kid developed yeah. a real serious hatred for his mom yeah and it was just a real yeah. ugly situation so I just really can't understand why you know people would want to do that yeah and it's not and again it's if you pulled most people out of this context they'd be able to understand exactly what you're saying But the psychological phenomenon of alienation of affection is a very real thing. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that play out to your point where one parent is methodical and almost sinister in how they approach the child and get into a child's head. As parents, and you and I are both parents, you understand you have a certain influence on your children. Right. 
And there are people who take that influence in not necessarily a positive way. And it works. Yeah. And so it can be very, very damaging. We we sometimes engage in litigation and, and, and employ psychologists in, in some of the cases mm-hmm. to identify and then rectify those situations. But that can be very, very dangerous. And again, it's sometimes coming from the place of there's such an anger or hatred from one person to another, they, they're blinded and they can't yeah. really see the impact that they're having to their own child. Now, you brought up uh, psychologists. Do you have a lot of work with child psychologists in your field? Yeah. And uh, to what extent does that relationship happen between the attorney and the uh, psychologist? Good question. And so we, not in every case, but in many, many cases where there are disagreements between parents in terms of who should make the major decisions for the children, you know, how many days should the child be spending with mom or dad overnight, mm-hmm. those the scheduling kind of things. Sometimes they simply can't agree and the courts will appoint psychologists to be able to do an evaluation and try to, from a psychologist's per- perspective, determine right. what psychologically is in the best interest of children. Right. So that's where you typically see that type of thing come up. Another example of where we interact with psychologists is just as a lawyer, as a parent, you know, I can recognize situations where children are from what's being told to me or, hey, my client reported back, this is what's happening in my child's school. Hey, they're in distress. They have a problem and we'll make recommendations. Hey, why not find a child psychologist or counselor Mm -hmm. for your child? Well, my spouse won't agree to that. Okay. Then sometimes we go to court and we will litigate and actually ask the court, and the court has authority to order counseling for the children. Right. And that's that's an area I'm particularly passionate about because I think it's necessary. I would um, agree. And, and some people don't see the value in it always, but for, to our point earlier about children just having the ability to talk to somebody and be able to just um, – you know, just say what's on their mind. I think it can be very therapeutic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and that's something too, where in, in, in the law there's, we've, we've litigated because when that happens, a child, when a child's in therapy, just for the pure therapeutic aspects of it, that's something that should be removed from the litigation itself. In other words, I shouldn't be as a lawyer allowed to have a child go into confidential counseling. Right. And then be able to go behind that confidentiality and say, well, you know, let's have someone talk to the psychologist and say what the child said in counseling. Right. You know, it undermines the trust that's really necessary for counseling to be effective. Um, And then it ultimately just, you know, a child's going to find out, wait a minute, you told the counselor that I did this, you know, that's not true. And you told mom, you know, it's just, it's bad. So I think, you know, using psychologists, you know, mental health professionals, whether it's social workers, very, very important in our in our field. And what about uh, in the education process? Because I know there have been situations where we'll have IEPs and, you know, parents will talk about having uh, attorneys come in. Now, again, talking strictly in terms of when there's a conflict, what is the role that schools usually play? And for anybody that's listening that is an educator, what advice or what suggestions would you give them in terms of how they deal with the parents in these matters where there's a split with the the parents and how they should relate to the attorneys? Yeah. That's interesting because that's more complicated. Um, 
and I come from my mother being a teacher, my sister's a teacher. It's, it's, I'm, they, they're, they're there to teach. Right. The fact of the matter is, and you know this all too well, a teacher's role often extends beyond that. And sometimes you are the counselor and the coach and you're the friend and the confidant and all of those kinds of things, which isn't part of your job description. What I would say in the, in this context is sort of what we talked about earlier is be aware of your students, Mm -hmm. you know, and it might be that, wow, they, they just, I'll tell you a story and I'm, I I digress. My sister taught (laughs) inner city in Milwaukee and one of her first couple of years of teachings, there was one particular student. She couldn't understand what was going on, and she just knew something wasn't right, wasn't right. She found out well after the fact that, again, broken family, things weren't, and I'm putting it nicely, things weren't good mm-hmm. at home, and the child didn't have enough to eat. So the girl would eat paper in school because she had no food. And so- yeah. My sister identifying that, sort of figuring that out, figuring out, okay, how can we get this child some food? Pretty hard to learn if you're not exactly. eating, right? And you have to yeah. eat paper to eat. So I say that to say it's it's as as a teacher, understanding, knowing your students, knowing the children, identifying some of those situations that don't seem quite right. But then from there, making recommendations, going through whatever channels you can appropriately. And I'm not suggesting... Um, you know, sometimes, you know, DCFS might get involved in certain we, things. Yeah, we have situations where we do have to get them involved. So. Yep. And that's and that can be neglect and abuse, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of reasons that can happen. But also it could be saying, hey, listen, you know, we might have to do something different academically. Maybe there is a recommendation for an IEP or some sort of educational plan mm-hmm. um, that might be better suited for this child because of those circumstances. Um, maybe a referral to the school counselor. All of those things are good things, but... What what I also think is a it's unfair for parents or lawyers or anyone to put teachers in the middle of those disputes. I think what we oftentimes in in, in cases where there's custody or you know mm-hmm. parenting issue disputes, the, there will be a guardian ad litem or what we call sometimes a child's representative, and they're investigating and they need to talk to people. So I think a teacher candidly, not, I'm not picking sides one for mom or for dad. I'm just telling you what I'm observing. I don't have an opinion in this. Right. These are the facts that I'm seeing. And this is why I'm concerned and giving that information objectively to a child's representative or a guardian ad litem in a case. And again, you get into the laws around what can teachers do, what, you know, right. I think a lot of the administrators rightfully want to protect their teachers and keep them out of these fights. But, you know, to me, I think it's it's incumbent upon all of us as human beings. I don't care if you're a teacher, doctor, you know, person on the street. The idea is if someone's in need of help, yep. try to do something. <laughs> right. Try to help. You know, it's this idea that, well, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to get in the middle of something. I don't want to be part of the litigation. I understand that. But if you've got a child who's suffering and you see it. Dude, and you Right. Don't you have to do something? You have to do something. And, uh, you know, it, a lot of it goes to our society. And that's, you know, part of, you know, my whole mission here is just to help champion people that are advocates for youth and young adults because, you know, our society is just getting so such uh, to such a place where people are so involved in self that they're not looking in 
worried about the future and what's going on with other people. So, right. you know, that's, uh, you know, like I said, my, my reason for doing this. And again, I appreciate, you know, you taking the time to, you know, just come on the show and shed some light uh, from your perspective and from your background on how people can be more caring and how people can, you know, just better assist in situations where there's family conflict between parents and, you know, make those things uh, work out. Um, so I want to go a little bit into like how you got started and, and your background. So tell us, can you tell us where you grew up and, sure. and kind of your childhood, what that was yeah. like? I, I grew up in a, a small town, West Bend, Wisconsin. And it's a, it's a little north of Milwaukee, but it is a small um, industrial um, farming community. And it was very homogeneous, um, you know, to the fact of our relationship and the years of our friendship. I mean, there were really no black people in West Bend, Wisconsin. Yeah. And so it was, in the one hand, it was, it wasn't diverse, but it was simple. Mm-hmm. You know, the majority of the population in our town was Catholic. There were two different parishes. Um, and so it was sort of, church was still a big centerpiece mm-hmm. of our community, which, you know, not getting off, tan- off off topic, but, you know, when you start talking about service, when you start talking about helping others, right. for me, that comes from the core of, you know, in my case, being Catholic and, you know, belief in Jesus Christ, it's service of others. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very simple kind of, you know, Norman Rockwell type of town. Right. Um, we rode our bikes everywhere. It was it was simple. It was easy. I mean, you know, back in our day, there was no internet. There was no podcasts right. or any of this right. other cool stuff. Right? <laughs> right. You, you went out and you, and so you learn how to, you know, you, you learned about relationships. You learned about problem solving. Um, you know, and so that, that was sort of my foundation, but I also just grew up sort of with this notion that, you know, people are people. I worked mm-hmm. in one of my, I've, I've worked at, uh, I worked in a factory uh, when I was in high school. I hung metal pieces on a conveyor belt that went around <laughs> and got spray coated with some kind of nice. rust proofing. And I did that for two weeks until I finally got a job at um, uh, Fleet Farm, which was the precursor to uh, Home Depot. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I uh, worked at a Ponderosa. I washed dishes. I cut grass. You know, so I just, you know, it was just sort of the, the days of you just worked hard. But I also worked at um, the Public Works Department. So mm-hmm. I was a garbage man for a summer. Um, and, and in doing that, you learn to interact with every kind of person just at a basic human level. Right. And I just learned, you know, back then, you know, people were people, you know, and you know, so as I grew up and as my career, you know, took off and I started doing better in my career, I've never felt that I'm any different than the kid growing up in West right. Bend, Wisconsin. And so I don't see myself, you know, you introduce me as some kind of great lawyer in this and I work hard to, to do well for right, my clients. Absolutely, yeah. But to me, I'm still just the kid from West Bend, Wisconsin. And I like people, you know, if, if you have a million dollars, you know, I don't like you any more than I like the person right. with, you know, a thousand dollars. Right. You know, so I, I, but that's the piece I enjoy about where I've come in my careers. I meet people from all walks of life. Um, and you know what, no matter if you're the smartest, whether you're black, you're white, you're Christian, you're Jew, you're rich, you're poor, when they get into the problems of life that I 
deal with and helping people through, it's all the same. And it affects people across all boards, you know, sort of in an equal fashion. Right. So, um, you know, and I've, I've had the good fortune of working with some very famous people, um, people with great wealth, but also people, everyday Just people. Average, you know, average. Absolutely. You know, average. working class people, school teachers like we've talked about, um, police, fire. I mean, so it's it's sort of been interesting to me because it's it's very humbling. And it brings you to your knees when you get into this kind of a situation. Good deal. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Always Believe in You show on 21.6 The Net. We have a lot of great shows that are playing throughout the week, so tune in. Uh, Starting the week off, on Mondays, we have two ball guys and a microphone with Tim Stewart, a.k.a. Coach Papa, Kent Deke Jones, and Rancher Ron. That airs from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Mondays. Then from Our Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., we have Pete Talks Jobs with Mr. Peter Galt. And then Monday evenings from 5 to 6 p.m., we have Let's Go Racing with Mike Babbitts. On Monday evenings also from 6 to 8 p.m., we have Slang and Hope Radio with Shay and Jessica Sassano bringing you Recovery Nation, a show about helping pretty much anybody that's feeling hopeless. So you get a lot of great uh, inspiration from that show. Kicking off the day on Tuesday, starting at noon, from noon to one, we have Not Done Yet with Tom Sellers and Robbie Robinson. It is a show for uh, cancer support primarily. We got two cancer survivors, but just anybody that's dealing with some kind of uh, major illness or you're, you have a family member that's dealing with a major illness, this is just a show to give you some support and some encouragement through that situation. Then we have Tuesday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m., The Deep Dive with Nick Espinosa, and that's all things cybersecurity. So he is a uh, white hat hacker. He works with uh, the government and a lot of major corporations. He's a writer for Forbes magazine, just talking about cybersecurity and how you can better protect yourself from cyber thieves. Then on Wednesdays, we have On the Bump with Young and Marshall. It's a sports show airing from 7 to 9 p.m. on Wednesdays. It's a really neat show. Just some guys sitting around having a good time. And if you hop on Facebook Live, you can sit and chat questions and comments to them, and they will respond. So uh, have a good time with those guys with that. On Thursday mornings, we have Freedom One with Tim Stewart, and that airs from 6 to 7.30 a.m. And following that, from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m., we have Beautifully Broken with Dawn Stewart, who is Coach Papa, his uh, daughter. That's a support for broken women. Again, that's Thursday mornings from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. And then on Thursday evenings, you have the Always Believe in You show, hosted by yours truly, Damon K. Ross, from 4 to 5 p.m. And following that, you have Slangin' Hope Radio coming back to you with the view from the, uh, a view from the other side. And this is from the family members and those on the other side of addiction. And all times are central standard time. So please tune in, uh, check out all of the shows on 21.6, the net. It is your daily dose of encouragement. So talking about your uh, history and where you grew up, would you say that your history or your, or your background set you up to become a family attorney or was it just some of life's experiences? Because a lot of people seem to think that when you go into a profession, you have to have all of these qualities or, or a certain uh, background. What, what would you say to that? You know, it's interesting about that. I think it's all of the above. I think, you know, you don't get to where you are accidentally. 
I think it's a confluence of different things. And so who I am, you know, you talk about the nature versus nurture, how mm-hmm. I was nurtured, what was around me, that all impacted me. The experiences I had, the work ethic I had right. was a big part of me. Like I said, I mean, I'm constantly, you know, making sure my kids get jobs and this, yeah. you know, it's a different thing. Back then, if I wanted to buy a, you know, pack of baseball cards and I was in the third grade, how do you get it? You got to get a job, wash someone's car, you cut their grass. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, so I think that impacted me a great deal. Um, you know, but in terms of, in terms of what really, um, you know, I just think it was one of those things where I never thought of being a divorce lawyer. I never thought of being a lawyer. I never thought I could be a lawyer. You know, there weren't a lot of, you know, there's no lawyers in my family. It was so, it was just one of those things that, you know, through a certain set of circumstances, you know, I got to my summer before my senior year in college and my old mm-hmm. roommate you know, said, Hey, Quiggs, what are you going to do next year? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and nowadays, you know, kids are expected to know I'm going to do this and I have to right. plan it all. I had no idea. You know, I wanted to be, I was in the journalism school. I wanted to do sports broadcast. Oh, really? Right. If that, if I, if I'd have pursued that path, you and I would be sitting here doing the sports <laughs> podcast, right? We'd be arguing about the playoffs and whether or not, you know, LeBron's going to win or not. But, uh, you know, so it just, it, but, and you know, it's interesting. So those experiences in life, but then how I'm built, mm-hmm. you know, you and I are both very competitive. Maybe right. a little more outwardly as you right. remember on the, on the, <laughs> right. on the floor. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, in my, in, in my career, I can't flip the switch off. And so winning is important to me. Mm-hmm. And so when you combine the experiences of caring about people and, and of all different walks of life, wanting to win, it's how I'm built, but also wanting to win for my clients and for their families. Right. You know, I think having a competitive edge, this process that I'm in doing what I do, it's an adversarial process. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wired a certain way that I think in addition to the experiences I've had in my life, kind of melded itself into sort of a kind of a perfect combination. And that was just you know, I, I think that was directed. I don't think it just happened. Okay. So I got to rewind a little bit. So what was the turning point that took you from wanting to be a sports journalist to becoming an attorney? Because that's... Good question. <laughs> but you know, so here, that's where I've been able to, I think, give my children a little bit different direction because when I was growing up, my dad worked hard. He <laughs> went to work. He was a salesman. Didn't make a lot of money, but he did enough to provide for his family. Right. So what I saw is that's what a dad does. He goes out and he works hard. My mom taught special ed, so she cared for people. She helped people through the church. I mean, she's just, so I saw that. But I didn't have a mom and dad that sat down and knew a lot about business and law right. and careers and professions. So I went off to college and I thought, I love sports. This would be great. If I could sit courtside watch a game and talk about it. And they didn't even have ESPN when we were coming up, right? right. <laughs> so I would have loved to do that. But what I didn't know is to get that kind of a job, you probably need to do more than just play basketball every day at college. Yeah. And I didn't know about internships. I didn't know about getting, you know, really some experience that would make me marketable mm-hmm. to a, a company coming out of college. Right. And so that didn't really dawn on me until it was really too late. And so my friend Nick's suggestion, hey, you should go to law school, 
the first thing that popped into my mind is I buy myself three more years. <laughs> and so, <laughs> nice. you know, I then actually in law school, I thought about being an agent. So I thought, well, oh. that's the next logical extension. Same thing. And when I got into law school, I had a little bit more of an understanding of, hey, if you want to do something, you better kind of prepare yourself mm-hmm. to do that. The opportunities just weren't really there. That was a, It's a tough field. You have to have, you know, I think a little bit of luck in, in, in getting into that. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of plodding through law school. And, you know, I, my, the, 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 when I wrote my essays to, for my law school applications, I said I wanted to get into constitutional law. Okay. I didn't want to do personal injury and, and how people got injured. I didn't want to do family law, people getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Just none of that appealed to me. I wanted to do constitutional law because I had these, these, this ideological, um, you know, vision of like, you know, civil rights. And at, at that point in time, and, and, and I had uh, an emphasis in, in my undergrad on African-American studies. Okay. And so um, it sort of became a passion. So like, you know, the, 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 the civil rights movement was very interesting to me. And so I kind of thought maybe I'll be like a civil rights lawyer and help people, you know, give them the constitutional rights. So I get, I get into law school and I'm, you know, the, the classes that would, um, that were tailored towards that very interesting. Mm-hmm. I was very captivated by it, but then reality set in and I'm in law school and I said, yeah, I, I got to get a job. You know, I put myself through school. I paid for that. And I said, you got to work. I got to, uh, you know, pay for my own rent, right. buy groceries. And, and so I got a job doing personal injury work when I was in law school and I never want to do personal injury. I'm like, <laughs> okay, but Hey, they can make good money and it's a career. Yeah. And then I did that and I worked for the city of Chicago prosecuting a traffic court to get some litigation experience. And then coming out of law school in 1992, wasn't an easy market, you know, and I was, wasn't the top of my class. I was in the upper half of my class. You know, I did well, but not, you know, to the point where the big law firms were knocking on my door saying, hey, come work for me. And and here again, now I'm competing. And so I'm competing against the hundreds, if not thousands thousands of kids that are coming out of law school saying, hey, give me a job. And so I kind of hustled and I went and worked for one of the guys that I had clerked for in law school. And at that time he had a, he had obtained a contract to do a legal benefits plan with the police union. Okay. And so it was one of those kind of, hey, the police and fire, you know, through their union, mm-hmm. they would they would pay in and they would get a benefit, legal discounts on real estate closings or personal injury okay, cases gotcha. or divorces. And he sort of sold it as we were a one-stop shop, but we really didn't have anyone who did divorce. So I was just officing with them and I was hustling, doing anything I possibly could. And he came to me and said, Quiggs, you want to be the divorce guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, not really, but... Does it come with a steady check? He said, yeah. So I started doing that. And then through that, I met obviously a lot of people just by mm-hmm. being out there. And one of my opponents on a case liked my approach, liked what I was doing, needed a young lawyer. And I went to work for him. I worked for him two, three years. And then I started my own practice. And okay. it grew from there until uh, 2005 when I joined Beerman. And um, you know, by then I had established a bit of a reputation and was able to kind of negotiate not coming in as associate, but I had my own practice and my own clients and came in as a partner. And it's been just an amazing transition. We've got a great firm, um, you know, and so it's really been an interesting kind of progression, but one that I never would have necessarily, I've always seen myself being at a certain place and achieving certain things. Never 
maybe thought I would see it as a divorce lawyer, but I kind of saw myself reaching a certain pinnacle and, yeah. you know, and so it's like many things when you see it, I think you can achieve it. Yeah. And then that's, a, you know, for anybody, no matter yeah. what you're doing, but you have to understand, like I heard someone say the other day, he said, um, uh, you know, in a paraphrasing, but something like, you know, when you need anything, call on, on, on God, you know, he doesn't always give you what you want when you want, but he hears you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to trust that I might want to be here, but it's not always a linear line from here to there. And you have to be willing on some of those detours that life's going to throw at you. Right. To understand, and, and, you know, and you've experienced like this, right? doing a radio show. <laughs> right. And it's just, it's a path, it's, it's right? It's a path, exactly. And you'll look back at these days saying, man, those interviews, that was, those were, I didn't see that necessarily in terms of how it fit into this grand scheme, but you will in hindsight that, Absolutely. you know, there's detours, but just stick with it and stay focused. You'll get there. Absolutely. So can you uh, describe for the listeners a typical day that you have? A typical day is imagine you have a clear plan. You've got a schedule. It's got all these things. You're going to do this, 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 mm-hmm. and this. And then by about, you know, 9.15, that plans out the window and you are putting out fires. It's it's really um, an interesting business. And I'm lucky because I really have great support. Mm-hmm. We work as a team here. And, you know, that's part of why I came here, because you need a lot of resources because things come up on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, today, for example, I had a client, unexpected, is going through a divorce, and his wife called DCFS on him. And it completely threw my office into, okay, we need to draft this. We need to do this. And of course, DCFS investigated and said, we're not, we see this as kind of a trumped up charge. Right. People do that from time to time in the course of litigation and and it's an abuse of the process and Mm -hmm. what that system is really there to do, which is to protect kids. And so again, we didn't have that built into our schedule. So my world is very fluid and it actually works for me. I'm not a, I'm not someone who can sit here at my desk yeah. for eight hours straight and yeah. just do the same thing for eight hours straight. I need to be moving in this, and so it works well for me. But it's, it's very a lot of variety, a lot of variety, very fast paced. You meet so many cool people, though, mm-hmm. you know, and you meet some not so cool yeah, I was people. About to that, say, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, and that's but it's all part of it, and so that's. Um, you know, the good, the bad of it, but you, you know, you're on your toes mm-hmm. and you're moving. I, I laugh because some of the staff people now they're getting those stand up desks. Yeah. We have a few people at the school that have those. And, too, and, so. and my question to them is when do you ever have time to sit down, right. you know, in the first place? So, um, I, I love it though. It's, it's suited to my personality and, you know, but it's, you know, there's always something new that yeah. comes up unexpected. Yeah. So what, uh, what sort of advice would you give, to somebody that's looking to get into the field of uh, being an attorney in general, and then more specifically, if they wanted to go the path of a family law attorney. I'll tell you what I told my own son, because he's a sophomore in college. And he said, Dad, you know, I'm thinking maybe, you know, law school wouldn't be bad, maybe a JD MBA. And I said, son, I said, I would never tell someone not to go to law school because the law can open so many doors, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's in politics or CEO of a company, because you have that law degree, I would never tell someone don't go to law school, but I 
would tell someone in this day and age, have a plan. You know, what worked for the old man probably isn't a great plan saying, hey, I can go to law school and buy myself three extra years before right. I figure out my plan. <laughs> the economics of it are different yeah, today. Absolutely. Um, it is a tremendous, tremendous commitment. I see some of the young lawyers, even in our firm, coming out and the, and the debt that they've had to take on to get that law degree is it, it can, it's very burdensome. Mm-hmm. And so I would just say, you know, have some idea as to what you want to do and understand Getting a law degree isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. Right. No matter what you do, whether it's, a you, you know, if you're going to be a lawyer, you still, once you get your law degree, you're at the bottom of the rung. Yeah. You'll come out of law school and your buddies from college will be making more than you as, as a lawyer because they'll have been working for three years and you come out. And again, that's not in every case, but right. it's, you still have to work hard, pay your dues. Success will come. But if you're coming into being a lawyer just because I want to make money, that's probably not the right that's, reason. Yeah. All right. So if you could, uh, if you can go back to late teens, early twenties, oh oh <laughs> or, or teenage <laughs> Q, or, or early twenties Q, what advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know now? Probably the same advice my parents gave me: listen. Yeah. <laughs> listen. You know, I was the kid who, you know. You could tell me anything, and I just I had to learn the hard way. You know, um, when you have people like what you're doing, you know, and you know you probably have it with your son, where you're his dad. You know, what do you know? Right. right. It gets worse when they're teenagers. Oh, I'm believe sure. me. This but, guy, he knows everything already. So yeah, he's but only it's, eight. <laughs> if if there's somebody else in their life that they trust, they respect, or whatever. You know, for me, if and, and there were those people, I mm-hmm. just, I just, um, it would really just be listen, pay attention. Mm. You know, you can save yourself. You can't, you can't avoid struggle in life. Right. No one yeah. can. I don't care what you're born into. I don't care race, color, creed. You're gonna have struggle in life. Right. Everyone. But you can minimize that, mitigate that. You know, if you just listen. You know, if someone tells you it's gonna hurt if you bang your head on that. Right. wall. If you don't bang your head on the wall, you don't get hurt. doesn't mean you're not going to trip and fall and bang your head doing something else, right. but at least you've avoided that one situation. So that was for me. I just think I just had my own mind. I was going to do my own thing. And, and so I think going back in time, if, if I, if I could just be, Hey, listen, take a step back, open your ears, open your eyes, pay attention a little bit more, understand there's a lot to learn, you know, be humble. Mm-hmm. So, all right. And Today is a lot different than it was when you and I came up. So if you have any advice that would be different than what you would tell young Q based on time and space, what would what advice would you give to the young listeners that'll be checking this out and are thinking about becoming an attorney? Yeah. Or not not even just becoming an attorney, just in general. What what uh advice would you give today's youth in today's world? You know, it's interesting because I just had this conversation with my son about technology and how life was for us when we were kids and it didn't have any of this technology. I mean, I literally remember as a family when we got our first color TV, right? let alone cable TV that came around, you know, whatever, sixth, seventh grade. I'm like, man, this is, the world has changed. And we had Atari, you know, like, (laughs) 
or Pong, you know, these things that, you know, so I, I think what my message to young people is, and if the young people are listening, it's through technology. Technology is wonderful. I would, first of all, tell all young people, start learning technology at an earlier age because the world is going in that direction and to compete economically and in the business world. Our kids need to be more technologically competitive. Absolutely, I think it's great. We're learning foreign languages and we're, you know, still doing some of the old school Mm -hmm. things. But I think from an educational standpoint, get learning technology so that you understand because technology is part of every single industry aspect. Can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. But it's also while you're doing that, don't neglect personal relationships. Mm. I don't see, at least in our lifetime, where we're going to go to an iRobot type of a right, world yeah. where everything is, is interactive, right? You still have to have personal relationships with people. And to me, that's where the fulfillment of life comes. Mm-hmm. What you do, you know, everybody, I think, who has a job likes certain parts of it and can't stand other parts right, of it. Yeah. But if you do those things with the richness of, you know, people and, and understanding all different cultures and you know, every person has their own story. I think it's fascinating to learn every person's story. And that gives you different perspectives. So I think just put the tech stuff aside just for a little while. Right. You know. Balance. Balance. And it's in everything, right? So, you know, yeah. tech versus interpersonal stuff. But it's in everything in life. Yeah, if yeah. you can find that balance, it's hard to do. Yeah, it you is. Know? And I've told people, even people that work for me, I said, balance doesn't come in a minute-to-minute type of thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, in my life, there were times when I was out of balance with work versus mm-hmm. family. There's other times I tried to, you know, bring it back into scale a little bit. So you just have to, but you have to be aware of it and you have to be able to try to find that where you can. Not, it's not easy to do. Um, but yeah, definitely in the, you know, in the world where everybody wants to look at their phone or their tablet yeah, or, you yeah, know, yeah. this, and, and it's like, you know, the video games now to the kids, they don't even have the kids over to play video games. They got their headphones on, yep. their buddies sitting somewhere on their sofa. You right. Know, You're so, not even in the same room playing together anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, there's a lot of joy in, 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 in people, meeting people, engaging people, loving people. I mean, it's really, um, I hope for my children and my grandchildren one day that they 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 understand the true value in, in right. just interpersonal relationships right so you heard it from james quickly young people as you're getting older learn how to interact with your your fellow peers technology is great we need to have it it's the wave of the future but just create that balance and uh again i appreciate you taking the time to do the interview my and, pleasure. and helping me get this show up and running yeah. uh and for those of you out there, again, this is 21.6 The Net. You're listening to the Always Believe in You show. Uh, we're airing, again, Thursdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, you can also check out episodes on Podbean. Go to www.demondkross.podbean.com. And soon you'll be able to find the videos of these radio shows on YouTube at the ABIY Show channel on YouTube. And as I always say, keep striving. Stay humble and always believe in you. Till next time.